Hi friends, welcome to the Bible Project Daily Podcast. As we're working together through the book of Genesis, we've reached a really challenging and difficult passage. Genesis chapter 34 is the story of Dinah and the Shechemites. It's a story of evil, it's a story of sexual violence, and it's a story uh, where we see how it is responded to. It's a very challenging scripture dealing with challenging subjects, but I do hope that we can learn something uh, from it, something about how we should respond when we're living in a wicked world surrounded by evil. So that's, so join with me today on the Bible Project Daily Podcast. A quick reminder that if you're new to this, that all of these studies contain a transcript of approximately what I've said. And you'll find access to that in the episode notes page of any audio version of the podcast. Doesn't matter which platform you're receiving it on. If you follow the link through to where the podcast is hosted on the Buzzsprout podcast website page, you'll find a transcript there of roughly what I've said. There's also links to other ways in which you can connect with the ministry. But anyway, that's it by way of introduction. So we'll just drop in to the main study and back into the main text today. I'll see you at the end. Bye for now. Okay, today we're covering Genesis chapter 34. And this is the story, of course, of Dinah and the Shechemites. And I've given the overall title to what we're going to be looking at over the next couple of days, responding to wickedness. See what we can learn from this really difficult, really challenging story. Now, I don't have to tell you that we live today in a very wicked world. You would probably agree with that question, I'm sure most of you. But what I want us to ask over the next two days is how should we respond to situations at the end of the day we're surrounded by evil and wickedness so how do we live within those societies in that world and how should we respond when events take a turn on the dark side what is this proper response to the reality of what we have to face and what we see happen and what is an improper response when evil raises its ugly head in front of us we are all faced with it all the time and we all have to by nature have to choose to respond to it one way or another even in fact if we do nothing now that's an interesting question isn't it is it okay to do nothing as a response to evil around us the other option is to go to the extreme and live a life in fear all the time or respond in a way that's inappropriate so can we find a middle ground is there a correct way to live in a wicked world What is the wise way? What is the godly way to respond to the wicked world in which we live? The search is to try and find a way to live alongside and respond to evil and to try and figure out a way that honours the Lord and yet seeks what is right for all occasions and for all parties all of the time. It's a difficult path to navigate, friends. But I believe that the the story contained within Genesis chapter 4 can offer us a few insights. Now in going through the whole book of Genesis as we've been doing, we've come to a passage which I think can give us some help, at least a few insights into how we might respond. Now it's a really troubling chapter 
and anyone who approaches this chapter in isolation without remembering that the events depicted within it lie within the context of not only the entire story of Jacob, but within the context of the entire book of Genesis. And if you've just arrived today in isolation, or you're someone who's studying chapter four in isolation, you are in great danger of reaching wrong conclusions by just looking at the text in isolation. So we're going to approach it cautiously, friends, and we'll do as we always do, which is initially we'll work through it verse by verse. And the opening verse, Genesis chapter 34, verse 1, tells us this. Now Dinah, the daughter Leah had born to Jacob, went out to visit the woman of the land. Now remember, friends, we're in the middle of the story of Jacob. And if you've been with us through the last few podcasts, you will remember that Jacob originally fled his homeland for deceiving his father and his brother. But now, 20 years later, he has come back. He's been reconciled with his brother and he ends up in this city of Shechem. And the passage reminds us at this point that he has a daughter as well as his sons. He has a daughter called Dinah. You may also call that the story has told us so far that he has had 12 sons, but this is referring to his one and only daughter, Dinah. Now, probably we shouldn't be surprised with her having 12 brothers. She probably wanted to have a social life among the women of the land. So verse one says she went out to find a woman friend, probably someone her own age that she could relate to. Only it was a local woman that she went out seeking. She went and she went out and looked for, for companionship among the, not the Israelite women. Now, this is probably because she's been tells us they're based in Shechem. So all she would find there if she went out into that area, of course, would be local Canaanite women. And of course, being based in Shechem, if she goes out amongst that community, all she'll come across really are local women. Now, Bible teachers have tried to figure out how old she was. And given that there's very little information, it's not an exact science. But one commentary I read said she was probably between 13 and 15 years old, and another said she was 15 or 16 years old. So if you do some research, the formed opinion seems to suggest she's probably somewhere between 13 and 16 years old. So she is what is today we would call a young teenager. And she's looking for some girlfriends, but when she goes out amongst the, the place in which she lives, things take a dark turn. Verse two tells us, when Shechem, son of Hamor, the Hivite, the ruler of the area, saw her, he took her and he raped her. Oh dear, the one who has raped her, have you noticed, he's called Shechem and the regions also called Shechem. That means that he's a prince, if you like, a, a sort of the son of a ruler of the region. So he's clearly someone who has and probably had a sense of entitlement about his special privilege that he had. Isn't this a familiar story of sexual violence, even when it happens today? It invariably involves an abuse of power. And there's little doubt that Shechem here, the person, grew up with a sense of entitlement and probably thought that he was above everybody else. And today, when we hear stories of sexual violence, we still hear about the power or the privilege of and the abuse of it that often happens when these terrible things happen. People with power and privilege are 
in danger of and being inclined towards thinking they can do whatever they wish. They think they can just go out and do whatever they want, that the laws don't apply to them, and that is absolutely what's going on here. But let me just make another observation. Jacob should have provided some protection for the young girl, uh, his daughter, living under his roof. After all, they were living in a pagan neighbourhood. They were living in an area whose reputation for a moral living had been identified in the Genesis story so far. So she's going out into a neighbourhood that wasn't Israelite. They were pagans, surrounded by pagans, and they were their practices uh, that they carried out. Well, we can guess. We don't need to guess. We can look at the text to see what the attitude and the actions of the pagan people around them were. So Bible experts tend to agree that Jacob here is being described and being identified as falling down as a father. He's not protecting his young teenage daughter, and unfortunately, she's going to pay the consequences. What's interesting in this particular case is the man who rapes her then says he's attracted to her. Look at the next verse, verse 3. His heart was drawn to Dinah, the daughter of Jacob. He loved the young woman and spoke tenderly to her. And Shechem said to his father, Hamor, get me this girl as my wife. So even though he's violated her, it says he's fallen in love with her and he wants to marry her. The story continues. When Jacob heard that his daughter Dinah had been defiled, his sons were in the field with their livestock. So he did nothing about it until they came home. Then Shechem's father Hamar went out and to talk with Jacob. And meanwhile, Jacob's sons came in from the fields as soon as they heard what had happened. They were shocked and furious because Shechem had done an outrageous thing in Israel by sleeping with Jacob's daughter, a thing that should not have been done. Now, it was absolutely the custom of the day to ask parents to make arrangements when their children were getting married. So it was according to the custom of the day for Shechem to go to his father and say, look, I find this girl I want to marry. Now, if his son was going to marry Dinah, then as a father, that meant he would have to go and speak to her father, Jacob. And these opening verses are just sort of setting the stage for what is about to happen when they meet. So what happens next is Hamor, Shechem's father goes to Jacob and requests that they make arrangements for marriage. And this is where the story really starts to get quite interesting. We know Jacob has heard about these events, but the sons in the fields, they're out with the livestock. So Jacob keeps quiet about it until they come home. He hasn't gone out and drawn them in immediately. And that's particularly interesting because we, when we get deeper into this book, he seems to react, be much more proactive when one of his sons go missing or something potentially bad happens to one of his sons. He seemed to get very upset, yet his daughter's got raped here and he appears to be quite passive about the whole thing. Now, some have suggested that it would be the custom for him to wait until the sons got home before telling them rather than calling him in from the fields. But that doesn't really cut it for me. If you read the rest of the passage, it's obvious that he is passive in this whole situation. In fact, you could say he's shockingly passive and insensitive to what's gone on, and he does nothing about it until the brothers actually come home. 
So what we see here is the father of Shechem has come out to speak with Jacob and his sons are now coming in from the field and at this point they hear about what's happened. So Dinah's brothers, we are told, are very angry. Now let's just pause for a moment and think about, you know, do you see the contrast here? It hasn't mentioned Jacob getting angry at any point yet, but it's obvious that the brothers are getting very upset. They're furious, in fact, it tells us. And Jacob is just being passive in the whole situation. But these brothers are angry, saying Shechem has done a disgraceful thing by sleeping with their sister. Shechem has done an outrageous thing in Israel, is how they actually word it. Now, what significance in their response, as detailed in that verse, is their use of the word Israel. This is the first time the word has appeared in this regard. And it's indicative of the fact that this word is used to make the point that this terrible thing has been done among God's chosen people, Israel. So the author here is saying the offence is pointing out that they recognise that the offence is against one of God's chosen people. And that's what they're angry about that. It was their father, Jacob, who had his name changed by God himself to Israel. And it is against this situation, this family line, that this has been done. It was his daughter and their sister that had been violated. So verse 8 to 10 then tell us, But Hamer said to them, My son Shechem has his heart set on your daughter. Please give her to him as his wife. Intermarry with us. Give us your daughters and take our daughters for yourself. You can settle amongst us. The land is open to you. Live in it and trade in it and acquire property in it. All right, here's the pro proposal. Here's the background to the marriage proposal made by Shechem's father. But note, it's not just for marriage. It's much wider than that. It is to share the land together and for both their sets of children and family lines to intermarry. But remember what God said about his chosen people, about this people that he named Israel when he chose them. Remember what he said when he made his first covenant with them. He said they were going to be a people set apart for him. They were clearly not meant to intermarry. So this is a bad suggestion. But on top of that, Shechem's saying not only should they intermarry, but they should make this a commercial venture. They should make a commercial thing out of this whole arrangement. He's saying, look, let's live in this land together and let's not just intermarry. Let's trade together. Let's do business together. So he didn't just ask that Jacob's daughter becomes married to his son. He's making a much larger and wider proposition here. Namely, that we create this new mixed community and make it the basis of our new business relationships and out of which we can create a whole new society. Can you see where it's going wrong here? Then Shechem said to Dinah's father and brothers, Let me find favour in your eyes. I will give you whatever you ask. Make the price for your bride and the gift I am to bring as great as you like and I will pay whatever you ask. Only give me the young woman as my wife. Now, it still seems to me that there's a real sense of entitlement in this young lad, in the sense the way he said, only give me this young woman as my wife. Whatever you can say about Shechem, and there are a lot of negative things you can say about him, it does appear, though, that he genuinely wants to marry Dinah. And it does appear that he perhaps has maybe even fallen in love with her. 
So is this different times? Or maybe not so different. He's willing to pay whatever they ask for the dowry. Just give me the girl. I want to marry her. That was his request. That was, that was what he wanted. And here's the response. Because their sister Dinah had been defiled, Jacob's sons replied deceitfully as they spoke to Shechem and his father Hamor. Now the key word in this verse is deceitfully, deceitfully. It tips us off to pay attention to what's coming next. So we need to understand, we need to pay attention that what they're about to say is an attempt to deceive Shechem and Shechem's father. They aren't sincere, they aren't speaking the truth here, and this is the beginning of a great deception, pure and simple. It's, the narrative picks up in verse 14, where it tells us, They said to them, We can't do such a thing. We can't give you our sister to a man who is not circumcised. That would be a disgrace to us. We will enter into an agreement with you on one condition only, that you will become like us, circumcising all your meals. Then we will give you our daughters and take your daughters for ourselves. We will settle among you and become one people with you. Now, remember, they don't mean any of this. How do we know that? Because the text in the preceding verse pointed out that this was all a deception. Now, if you recall, God told Abraham to practice circumcision from then on in, which was part of the symbol, a sign that God had given to set his people apart and to greatly multiply Abraham's family line and give him a lot of descendants out of whom the Messiah would eventually come. The Messiah, not just for the Jewish nation, but for the whole world. But we need to understand that other people at that time also practiced circumcision, even adult circumcision on occasion. So this request that all the men of the Shechem nation be circumcised, it's not completely out of the ordinary. The request would have struck them as a challenging but a reasonable thing. They think if we can just adopt this custom and all of us are circumcised, then we consolidate what they obviously think is a great deal. Keep that proposal in mind, but keep in mind that it was a deception. All right, let's just continue reading the story. Verse 17. But if you, you will not agree to be circumcised, we'll take our sister and go. Their proposal seemed good to Hamar and his son Shechem. The young man, who was most honoured of all his father's family, lost no time in doing what they said, because he was delighted with Jacob's daughter. So Hamor and his son Shechem went to the gate of the city to speak to the men of the city. So where we, here we pause here, and it seems that these two groups of people, are uh, they separate for a moment, and they're going to take it back, and they're going to discuss the plan with the wider group of people, with the leadership of the Shechemite people at the city gates. Continues in verse 21. These friends, these men are friendly towards us. They will let them live in our land and trade in it, and the land has plenty of room for them. We can marry their daughters and they can marry ours, but the men will agree to live with us as one people only on the condition that our males be circumcised as they themselves are. Won't their livestock, their property, and all their other animals become ours? So let us agree to the terms and they will settle amongst us. So the Shechemite people are saying, you know what, let's do this. They have this discussion and it says, then it tells us all the men went out to the city gates and agreed with Hamor and his son Shechem 
and every male in the city was circumcised. It's important to note that in ancient times, all the main business dealings were done at the city gates. So this is saying something like, Hamor and Shechem gathered the people together at the city gates. It's a bit like saying they called a meeting at City Hall and the Shechemite Council ratified this plan. The plan is that they will become one people. We will swap our daughters and we will marry their sons and their daughters and their daughters will marry our sons and we're all going to live happily ever after. Is that even a possibility? Is that really how this is all going to work out? Well, we'll find out when we come back and look at the second part of Genesis chapter 34 next time. Okay, okay, that's it for today. Thank you so much for joining me. Quick reminder that on the episode notes page of any audio version of the podcast, there's lots of links through to ways in which you can connect with me, including my Patreon website where I make some exclusive content available to patrons. Uh, Some discipleship courses and some teachings that I do in secular environments alongside messages sometimes given in other churches which are recorded. By becoming a patron of my ministry, you are primarily providing a resource which enables the Bible Project Daily Podcast, which is my main, obviously, ministry, to not only be made available on the internet, but to be made freely available on the internet at no cost to anybody who wants to receive it. Tens of thousands of people are now accessing this and making the rhythm part of their daily lives. So we are to be thankful for that, and I'm so thankful for you to enable this to happen. I really could not do it without you. So thank you for your encouragement by listening to it and your prayerful encouragement of me and this ministry. But that's it for today. I do hope you've enjoyed our time together, and we'll be back here again tomorrow when hopefully we can gather up this very challenging story of Dinah and the Shechemites. But anyway, thanks again for being here on the Bible Project Daily Podcast, and I'll see you right back here very soon. Bye-bye for now.